0: It's February 3rd, this is David McAdam, and it's my pleasure to host the one-year Bible tour and to be reading the scriptures together with you. We're in the book of Exodus, and there's a lot to cover today. In Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 8, Israel defeats Amalek. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses built an altar and called to the name of it, "The Lord is my banner, saying, "A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation." Chapter eighteen. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father in- law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the lord had brought israel out of egypt now jethro moses's father-in-law had taken zipporah moses's wife after he had sent her home along with her two sons the names of the one was gershom for he said i have been a sojourner in a foreign land and the name of the other eliezer for he said the god of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of pharaoh jethro Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and the other, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you you are not able to do it alone now obey my voice i will give you advice and god be with you you shall represent the people before god and bring their cases to god and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do moreover Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Chapter 19 Israel at Mount Sinai On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples." for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we just read. In Exodus chapter 17, we have some important introductions to people who will feature in the larger story of the Bible. In verse 9, we encounter the first mention of Joshua, the man who will one day become Moses' successor, whereas Moses, who represents the law of God, escorts the children of Israel for forty years through the wilderness to the border of the promised land, he is not able to bring them in. The law can point to the inheritance but cannot bring you into it. That deed is for another to accomplish. Joshua, who represents God's provision of a Savior, will be the one who leads the people of God into the promised land. The names of Joshua and Jesus, Yeshua, are essentially the same in Hebrew meaning God saves, God is Savior, or Yahweh is salvation. We might say God to the rescue. The Holy Spirit sovereignly inspires the writer to record the journey of the Israelites so that we can draw many lessons from it. We recognize the consistent patterns in typology. As we have already seen, Moses represents the ministry of the law and Joshua the ministry of another, that is Jesus, who would uphold the law, and be both willing and able to lead God's people into their promised inheritance. More is to come on Joshua. Keep your eye on that young man. In verse 8, we are introduced to the role of the Amalekites as representing those who continually assault God's people, particularly those who are weaker, isolated, and vulnerable. The Amalekites will represent the forces that afflict God's people, enemies that war against the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Although Amalek is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 36 verse 12 as the son of Eliphaz by his concubine Timnah making him the grandson of Esau, it is not until we get to Exodus chapter 17 that we see the sons of Amalek as active enemies of Israel. Agag was a descendant of Amalek and Agag became a dynastic name of the kings of Amalek. We see their hatred for the Jews come to full manifestation with Haman the Agagite in the book of Esther. Haman is the man who authored the decree to kill all the Jews in the Persian Empire during the reign of Ahasuerus, King Xerxes. The Hebrew historian Flavius Josephus, in book 12, chapter 8, tells us that Herod the Great was an Idumian, making him also a descendant of Esau. Herod ordered the death of all the baby boys that were thought to be a potential Messiah, king of the Jews. The Lord tells God's people to remember Amalek. There are lessons for us here. Not only are we to be on guard from the anti-Semitic attacks, but also the Amalek-like enemies that war with our souls and could catch us off guard. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn, The Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, we read, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came up out from Egypt, how He met you along the way, and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear, when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies, in the land which the Lord your God gives you, as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, you must not forget. The Lord will not make peace with the flesh, our Adamic sin nature. He has judged it as unfit for the kingdom of God, and will put it to death at the cross. So we must learn to mortify, that is, put to death the deeds of the flesh, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, who opposes it, and enables us to stand in the victory Christ has already won on our behalf, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16-17. to 17. When Amalek attacks the Israelites, Moses delegates the authority and responsibility to Joshua. To choose the fighting men who would go against them. This shows that Moses had come to trust Joshua's judgment. It also reflects the role of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who executes the Father's plan in the valley of space-time history. But Moses is pictured as having an important role to play in the battle also. He was to station himself on the top of the hill overseeing the battle. The law would have to be upheld if the battle is to be won. His hands would have to be lifted to the heavens, a picture of his receiving the grace of the Lord to prevail against the enemy. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. Moses was weak as a human intercessor. However, he received threefold support. Number 1, a stone to sit on, which speaks of the intercession of Christ, our rock, who ever lives to make intercession for us in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Number two, he needed his brother, in this case Aaron, to uphold one hand. We need the intercessory support of the church, our brothers and sisters. Number three, he needed her, a companion of Moses, whose name means whiteness, a good type of the Holy Spirit, to uphold the other hand. We need the intercessory ministry of the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it came about, when Moses held his hand up, that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed, in Exodus 17, verse 11. The good news is that at the end of the day, Joshua and his men overwhelmed the Amalekites. But there would be future battles to face. The Lord's war with Amalek has been the longest war in human history. It lasts from generation to generation. Also in our reading today, we see that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses and a priest of Midian, responds to the good news that Moses brings. The God of the Hebrews has vindicated His promise to Moses and delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 18 verses 10 to 12 record Jethro recognizing the superiority of the God of Moses to the tribal gods of the Middle East. He demonstrates his faith and his conversion by eating a covenant meal before God. In Exodus 18.11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. Not long after this conversion, Moses' father-in-law has wise counsel for his son-in-law, who has been appointed by God to serve as the spiritual and civic leader of the nation of Israel. He functions as the sole judge and arbiter for the people. Jethro sees how this burden is too much for one man. Jethro recommends that it is possible, with proper spiritual discernment, to select people of good character who are trained in the ways of the Lord and are familiar with the teaching of Moses and give them the responsibility to attend to cases appropriate to their competency. Some could judge thousands, some hundreds, some fifties, and tens. Today, a quorum of ten men gathering in Judaism for prayer or for forming a synagogue is called a minyan. Moses still was God's point person and maintained his accountability before God all of his life as a leader, but he implemented this pastoral system for effective ministry through healthy delegation and communication. Delegation Train and deploy able leaders. Communication Jesus demanded an account from his disciples in Mark chapter 6 verse 30. Appropriate ongoing feedback is needed for the system to work. To whom are you accountable in your spiritual community? Are you part of a minion, a group of 50, a 100? Do you realize that the leaders of these delegations are accountable to God for you? In Hebrews 13 verse 17, Moses adopted what is called the Jethro principle of delegation a decimal system of pastoral and judicial care. The praying Indians used this system as a pastoral model for their praying villages. One of the prominent Indians from Mesquitequid, the original name of the town of Concord, Massachusetts, was given the Christian name of Jethro, the famous tree at which the transaction for the purchase of Concord took place is named after him and is called the Jethro tree. An important scene is coming up. God is about to establish a covenant with His people at Mount Sinai. Notice the recurring reference to the number three in these episodes. Three days journey, in the third month from the day of the Exodus, and prepare for the third day. Three is a number symbolizing the transition from death to life. Exodus chapter 19 verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. The Lord calls Moses from the top of the mountain. He intends to make a covenant with His people. We see how the Mosaic covenant is only fulfilled by Christ, and the ones who become the kingdom of priests unto Him are those who believe God's word about Him. In Exodus 19, verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people's, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Israel as a nation never gave God the obedience he required, but in Jesus we see the true Israel, one who is ruled by God, the true vine, the true planting of the Lord. So the Apostle Peter explains that it is by coming to Jesus that we are born again and come to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, And coming to him, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We will see how God's invitation to take part in a universal priesthood in the nation of Israel is rescinded through disobedience, intended originally for all twelve, it will become restricted to one tribe, the Levites, due to their obedience in Exodus chapter 32. But there will be disobedience among the Levites, and the priestly privileges will diminish until there is only one mediator between God and man, the God-man Jesus Christ, who fulfills the requirements of the law on our behalf. I am sure that the overconfidence of the people to profess faithfulness to the law of God would haunt them for the remaining thirty-nine years and nine months. In verse 8 we read, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. We have a dramatic preparation for God's self-revelation at Sinai. The Lord promised to come down. He desires a relationship with His creation. He has called Israel for His choice purpose to be blessed among humanity and to bring blessing to all humanity through the Messiah. The scene closes with the people being reminded of God's holiness. You cannot go out of bounds. You cannot go up the mountain any time or any way you feel like you would like to. He is not a cuddly God. He is not in the trees or the mountains. He is the maker of the trees and the mountains. He is above the mountain and comes down to the mountain. He is God. You cannot approach Him on your own terms. As we shall see, A violation of God's command means death. Prepare yourself for the third day is the prophetic call to consecration and the prophetic yearning of our hearts for Christ, the heavenly lawgiver, who saves us to become the law keeper in our hearts. And now for our New Testament portion from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through chapter 23, verse 12. The Great Commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my God, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Chapter 23 Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Today's New Testament reading goes along well with our Old Testament reading. A so-called expert in the law of Moses sets out to test Jesus' understanding of the law. Jesus is able to summarize the 613 commandments of the Torah, which summarizes the Ten Commandments also. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Jesus is right. A perfect love for God will lead to a perfect love for those whom he created in his image. We are to love those whom he puts before us. We are to treat our neighbor as we would want to be treated. But Jesus does not leave it there. He turns to the experts in the law and asks them a central question that needs to be understood if you want to understand the gospel of God in the Old Testament and New. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They give their succinct answer, the son of David. Jesus confronts their blindness to the fact that the Messiah is God, the Son, and is standing before them at the moment. He cites the fact that David, the ancestor of the Messiah, recognized that his descendants would be his Lord, his superior, his God. Psalm 110 verse 1 is repeated in the New Testament by Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the book of Acts, and also by Paul. The writer of Hebrews refers to it twice. Jesus quotes it here in Matthew 22, verse 44. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In Matthew 22, verse 45, If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Jesus then teaches the people that the religious system of His day is apostate, having fallen away from the true faith, and consequently ignores the truth about Christ and their need for Him. Jesus is not very complimentary of the system of traditions that they have replaced as a means of manufacturing their own brand of righteousness. We are to look to Jesus as God's provision for our righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, we are to live through Him to love and serve others in 1 John 4.9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. True spiritual leadership involves humble faith with a Christ-centered focus and a servant's heart to live through Him. Matthew 23.10 Do not be called leaders. Some translations say teachers, masters, it all applies. For one is your leader, that is, Christ. He is the truth that is taught and the truth that teaches. He is the leader and needs no competitor. His followers will be the best leaders and function as accurate signposts to Jesus. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's continue to read now from the book of Psalms, continuing in Psalm 27 beginning with verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me The second half of this psalm is a prayer recognizing one's need for God's grace in every circumstance. The first half of this prayer had to do with a psalmist having confident trust due to his setting the Lord before his face. In verse 8, now he prays for help with the assurance that God is the God of his salvation, who has been his help in the past. In verse 9, in praying this prayer, he counsels his own soul to be patient. And wait upon the Lord. He counsels his soul to heed the Lord's teaching. When he prays, lead me in a level path, plain or straight path, he is not asking for an easy path. He looks to the Lord to show him the path that will expose all the strategies and ploys of his enemies, so that he will not fall prey to them. The psalm ends with a resumed confidence in a blessed outcome. In verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now for our daily visit to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 through 35. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor And his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. This is not just a warning of the painful repercussions of the sins of adultery and fornication, it is a warning of the danger of getting caught in the snare of pornography. When we allow our minds and imaginations to go into the bedroom of one who is not your spouse, we are practicing a form of voyeurism. Voyeurism is defined as the practice of gaining sexual pleasure from watching others when they are naked or engaged in sexual activity. You touch her body with your mind. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished in Proverbs six twenty-nine, Today's films and graphic material Take the viewer to places and situations that anyone with a functioning conscience would know they should not be if they were really in that place or situation. In a real situation, if you had any sense of propriety, you would excuse yourself for being inappropriately present instead of standing there letting the images hook your inordinate desires. Our culture has normalized inappropriate voyeurism by making it commonplace, dulling our consciences, and polluting our minds. Science has shown how pornography hijacks the brain. It hijacks and rewires the brain and sets it on a path of self-destruction. He who would destroy himself does it in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 35. Let's pray together. Lord, you are God, and we are your people. Forgive us when we get this backward and think that we are gods and you are our mascot or our religious icon or when we reduce you to fit into a marginal compartment in our lives. Thank you for the revelation of your holiness at Mount Sinai. You are a God of truth, but full of grace. With the revelation of your righteous demands, the commandments, you also reveal your plan of salvation by grace, through faith in Christ, who is our tabernacle. You give us a picture in the law of a tabernacle in which our sins are paid for by the offering of a perfect sacrifice. Thank you that your word was made flesh in Jesus and tabernacled among us. He is our priest, our mediator, offering himself as a propitiation, making full atonement for our sins. He is the truth of the holiest of all, the life of the holiest of all, and the way into the holiest of all. He is the holiest of all who satisfies your every demand. We embrace this fact by faith. By your doing, we are in him, and we are saved. Thank you for making us a kingdom of priests, showing us the importance of prayer and the wonderful provision of a daily intake of your word. Now we ask you afresh, teach us your ways, and lead us in a plain path. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us on our reading tour of the Old and New Testaments. I trust that your daily intake of God's Word is giving you perspective on life as it is to be lived in a real, honest-to-God relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As Lord, He is worthy of your obedience. As Savior, He is worthy of your trust. We also like to remind our listeners that if you would like to have a written copy of the commentary portions on each day's reading from the One Year Bible, you can subscribe to a free service at our website, newlife.org that sends an email to your inbox with illustrations, maps, and charts that you may find helpful. We hope that the tools of this daily podcast and daily emails will encourage you in the healthy habit of reading through the entire Bible and grasping at central message of God's plan of salvation centered in the person and work of His Son. You can also let us know if this podcast is a blessing to you or if you have any questions or comments by writing to us by email Our simple email address is podcast at newlife.org. That is podcast at newlife.org. Don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps us spread the Word of God, and it also will mean that you will be informed when each new installment is posted. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Shalom.